So I'm just curious, how many adults need a briefcase tag that reminds us, you got this? Yeah, I think we're gonna need more of these made. Um, I got one, uh, I'm gonna put it on my briefcase right after church. So today, as we kick off a new school year and a new year of programs and ministries, we're also launching, as I said a moment ago, a new series in which we're going to be reading through the book of Acts. Now, just as we did this last spring during the season of Lent, we are inviting the entire congregation to read together the entirety of this fascinating book. So for this series, uh, we are calling uh, Unstoppable. The Spirit Unleashed in the Book of Acts, we've also put together a reading plan. Uh, we've got these bookmarks available that kind of tell you what to read on what day. Um, there are also video study guides that are going to be available uh, on our website. We'll also email those out on Sunday evenings, sort of giving you an idea on what you're going to be reading that week. And then uh, we'll be gathering together on Sundays, and I will be preaching on one of the texts that you would have read this last week, all of which is designed to help us think and reflect on the ways that the Spirit is leading us calling us into new ways of being. And all of, this, uh, all of these resources, all of those videos, as well as uh, ideas for further reading and that sort of thing are all available on our website at universitychristian.org slash unstoppable. Um, so the reading plan is pretty simple. As I said, we're going to read basically one chapter every day, uh, Monday through Friday. Saturday, you can use that as a day to uh, catch up if you had to skip a day. Uh, and then, like I said, on Sunday, I'll be preaching on one of the texts uh, that you read this last week. As we discovered this last spring, something really powerful happens when a community of faith joins together, committing to read and to study the same scripture together in a very intentional way, growing together and, and reminding us, helping us understand what our role is, what it means to follow Jesus, and in this situation, what it means to be church. I am really excited about this, and I look forward to journeying with you in this way. So as we begin today, today's sort of just sort of a, an overview to kind of help us get started. Here's what you need to know is that the book of Acts was written by Luke, who was a doctor who went to great lengths to interview as many eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, as many witnesses as possible, and he wrote it all down. Uh, in a book that you guessed it, The Gospel According to Luke, uh, which we read this spring. Essentially, Acts is Luke Part 2, the sequel, if you will. So this morning, we're going to be reading the first 14 verses, which is essentially the transition between the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And it also sort of sets the stage for the rest of the book. So I invite you, and I know I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone just a little bit. I want to invite you to reach to the pew pocket in front of you and take out a Bible. Oh, I know I'm making you uncomfortable. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts uh, and to follow along and then leave them open because I want to point out a couple things and I may refer back to some of the things in the text. So I invite you now to listen and to read along to Luke, excuse me, Acts chapter 1. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Here begins the reading. 
In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this a time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So have you ever noticed that in just about every situation when it comes to movies, that the sequel is never as good as the original? Now, there are a few exceptions. We had this conversation around our dinner table last night. Godfather 2, probably better than the original. Toy Story 3, even better than Toy Story 2, which was better than Toy Story 1. Uh, The Dark Knight is said to be the best Batman movie ever. Some say the best superhero movie ever made. Christmas Vacation was even better than National Lampoon's Vacation. Now, the only problem there is that they kept making them. They should have stopped with two. That That never ends well. The Empire Strikes Back has one of the the greatest twists in cinematic history, making it a great sequel. But by and large, part two is almost never as good as the original. And there's all sorts of reasons, the biggest being that they're almost always less focused on the plot and developing characters and more focused on making money. But that being said, I would argue that the book of Acts, the sequel is just as compelling as the Gospel of Luke. 
Acts is, as we will see over the next few weeks, one of the wildest books in the Bible. It tells stories and describes events that are so unfamiliar to our lives and to our experiences as people of faith. There are miraculous prison escapes. There are appearances by angels. There are ordinary people suddenly speaking in languages that they have never learned. There are rousing speeches that either, that either convince or infuriate large crowds and so much more. And what we will discover is that underneath it all, there is this unwavering sense of hope. The book is exciting and compelling because it tells a story in which it seems that anything is possible now that the Spirit has arrived, that a new day has dawned. Acts encourages us to dream bigger and to expect more. But yet, I would also say that in some ways it makes me, at least, feel as if I have lived an overly safe and sort of sheltered life. Now, I love adventure. I love excitement. When I go on vacation, I'm not the type of guy that sits by the side of the pool and reads a book. I like to go. I like to do. I like to explore. I like to be active. I'm all for a life like that. But yet, in some ways, acts scares me. What scares me is the sense that the story in Acts oftentimes seems just too easy. There are groups of believers that agree with one another and their leaders a lot. Some people conveniently escape hardship and injury over and over again. Faith never seems to have to grapple with doubt. Villains get what's coming to them, while, while heroes don't seem to have any faults at all, or at least none that they're held accountable for. In other words, in other words, Acts doesn't always resemble the world the way that the world works. What life is like, what faith is like, at least from my point of view. But yet, as we dig down, as we look at the stories, as we think about the kind of people, the kinds of experiences, the kind of faith that gets lived out, parts of the book start to come into a clearer focus for me. And it makes a little bit more sense in some ways. It makes a little more sense if we can see the book as the story of what life is like with God. A story about how faith is difficult, about how living in community is hard, but yet at the same time, we need one another. Essentially, it's a story about how faith is sometimes hard. It's just hard. And sometimes it's even scary for us. Now, right away, in the very first verse of Acts, we have an important decision to make. Anytime you read Scripture, you have to make decisions, and this is no likely. This decision will influence the way in which we read the rest of the story. But before we get to that, I want to put a few pieces of the first few verses into context. Right away, Right away, if you'll notice, as you have it in front of you, Acts declares that it was written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And that Acts, as a good sequel, as, uh, as a good part two, it, it has a lot in common with the original in terms of style and vocabulary, sort of the theme, the, the general outlook, the tone of the book. It also tells a story, tells us that the story of Jesus, it didn't end with the resurrection. 
It didn't end with the resurrection. It didn't end with the ascension. It tells us that there is more story to tell, that we're just getting started. What felt like an end really was just a beginning. And that leads us to our decision. Pretty much everyone agrees that that phrase there, the first book in Acts 1.1, is referring to the Gospel of Luke, that it talks about all that Jesus did and taught. In the first book, Theophilus, it says right there, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. But friends, in some translations, such as the ESV and the NIV, it says it says that Luke describes all that Jesus began to do and teach. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do you see the difference? The first option implies that Jesus basically completed what he came to do, and now the story of the church is set in motion, and the church can commence. But the second option suggests that Jesus, even though he is no longer physically with them, that he no longer physically walks the earth, that he is still doing and teaching, that the story that he began in Luke, it continues even today, that now in the experience of the church and in the wider world. Now, it's okay. I'm not going to get into a discussion about Greek grammar or syntax because anytime I do that, your eyes roll back in your head you start to doze off and I lose you if I haven't lost you already. So I'm not going to do that. So just trust me, church, when I say that I believe that the second translation, the option, second option is a better choice strictly from a grammatical point of view. You'll just have to trust me on that. But I think even more important than the grammar is the idea that the rest of the book of Acts shows us that the church, the collection of people who, who follow, who are devoted to Jesus, is the primary, not the only, but the primary way in which Jesus remains active in the world. A few years ago, there was a denomination known as the United Church of Christ, the UCC, or as I like to refer to it, the other UCC, which is very similar in style and in theology to us as disciples of Christ. Sometimes uh, I refer to the disciples in the UCC as sort of kissing cousins. They, they, came out, they came out with a promotional campaign that declared, God is still speaking, dot, dot, dot. And it had a tagline, don't put a, don't put a period where God puts a comma. It was a great campaign that reminded us that reminded anyone who might go to a UCC church that God is still at alive and at work in the world. And so maybe in that same vein, a fitting catchphrase for the book of Acts is this, Jesus is still doing and teaching. It needs a little work. It's a little clunky, I understand. It's a little clunky, but yet, but yet it's accurate. And Jesus is not still doing these things, teaching and doing far away up in heaven. But Jesus is still doing these things here and now, in and through and around the church. You might even say that that sort of summarizes the entire book of Acts. Now, 
Luke ends and Acts begins with the same story. The disciples are all sort of standing around, clinging to the resurrected Jesus' coattails, wondering and asking, okay, so now what? Jesus is resurrected, now what? And Jesus responds, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, he says. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as he said that, (coughs) excuse me, as he said this, this cloud comes and sort of lifts him up and takes him away out of their sight. And they all just stand there looking up. They're just standing there looking up. And as they stood there, these two men in white robes say, people of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up towards heaven? Now, Luke calls them men, but you can bet your last nickel that they were angels. An angel sent to remind them that that if they want to see Jesus again, that it was no use looking up towards the heavens. In other words... If you want to see God, don't look up. Look around. If you want to see how Jesus is at work in the world, don't look up. Look around. Look around at the ordinary people living their ordinary lives because that is where God is most at work in the world today. And in that moment, those disciples turned apostles. They stopped looking up and they started looking around looking at each other. And in that moment, those followers would become leaders. Those listeners would become preachers. Those those that had been healed now become healers. The disciples became apostles. And nothing was ever the same again because they stopped looking up towards heaven and looked at each other and said, and then they got on with the business of being church. I have a friend who's a minister at a church not unlike ours, the Disciples Church in California. It's a smaller church, and so the way that they do the prayers of the people, what Jessica did a few moments ago, the way that they do that is different than we do it here. They don't list all of the joys and concerns in the bulletin. They just sort of have a conversation about it. It's a small church, and they have a conversation. So when they stand up to pray, they say, are there any joys or concerns? And in this one particular Sunday, somebody stood up and said, I've got a, an important doctor's appointment this Tuesday. I would love your prayers for that. And somebody over here says, we've got some good news. My granddaughter is getting married. And everybody applauded and said, that's great. We're so excited. And there were a few other things along the way. And then, and then a woman in the back The two little girls stood up, and with a catch in her voice, with a catch in her voice, she said, I don't know what's going to become of us. My husband left us this last week, and I don't know what the girls and I are going to do. And there was this long, awkward silence. And then someone, an older member, a an older woman sitting down front. She stood up and turned around and faced the woman in the back who had just made this declaration. And she said, I know what you're going to do. You're going to reach out to the rest of us to help. When my husband left me, this church, this church got me through. And I recovered, and you can too. And she sat down. 
And then somebody sitting over here stood up and said, you know what, I love to babysit. I'll help out with your girls any way that I can. And then somebody in the choir stood up and said, you know, in my office, we're looking for a new employee. We'll hire you. And then somebody over on this side said, you know what, I can bring a casserole by this week. What night would be good? And then somebody in the back said, I'll take the next night. Somebody down front said, you know, when I do laundry, I can just as easy do another load. It is a wonderful example of the church being church. And I'm willing to bet that if you've been around for a while, most of us can tell a story like that. About a time when you needed support, when you needed encouragement, when you needed affirmation, when you needed nurturing, and the people of God rallied around you and carried you through. Now, as we will see over the next few weeks, those original disciples, once they stopped staring off into heaven and started looking around, they began to look at each other and something surprising and amazing and incredible things, they just began to happen all around them. And here's the thing, church, they still do. Those surprising, those amazing, those incredible things, they still happen today if only we have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to feel. The book of Acts begins with Jesus' followers being commissioned by Jesus himself to be his witnesses. You heard it in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. In other words, in Fort Worth, in Burleson, in Arlington, and even God forsaken Dallas, you will be my witnesses in your homes, in your offices, in your schools, and yes, even in your church, you will be my witnesses. It wasn't a request wasn't even a command. Now this, this was a declaration. You will be my witnesses. In other words, God is still speaking. But now God is speaking through you.